week we started a new uh, series where we are reminding ourselves who we are as a church because uh, and we try to do that a lot in this church because it's so it's so easy for us to lose focus of of what, what we're trying to do any any group any bureaucracy any any organized anything uh, it's easy to lose sight of your goals you you move from trying to build something to trying to maintain something and and in church groups especially it it's so easy to move out of participating in the ministry Jesus has for us to creating an environment that I like and all my friends are a part of and 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 we can quickly turn into a country club rather than a church and we like country clubs that's why you all live out in this area that's we like country clubs they got gates we can keep the people out we don't like there's membership requirements you know you got and and we don't have to and and their whole existence is for our pleasure, and we like that. And, and there's nothing wrong with the country club. Just don't think that the church is supposed to be one, because that's not what Jesus came to do. And last fall, we, we came up with our refreshed way of saying that, is uh, in our church, we want to do anything and everything to share the love of Jesus Christ with anyone and everyone we come in contact with. And so what we're doing over these weeks is we're talking about who is anyone and everyone. I mean, really. And, and that sounds good on a slogan, but really, who is in, are you saying that you're willing to let whatever that thing is for you, fill in the blank, are you going to let one of them in? And my answer to you is we accepted you, didn't we? And we chuckle at that, that that's exactly the heart of the gospel, and that's what we're going to be talking about uh, today. Who is anyone and everyone? Why, why? Why? We've all experienced those those places in church. If you've done any church at all, you have seen the the nasty underbelly of the church. I mean, it, we all experience it. You got an example of it on the front of your bulletin of you know a couple walking in and trying to sit down in the pew and and the old that's our seat get out you know we, we we've all had those we even see them here I I mean I we cringe at it we hate it but you know there are sometimes where our people don't act that great and we don't send the right message the the media, the reason that you see all the commotion over here is they were doing a training today on usher and on all that kind of stuff we take that stuff seriously because that's the heart of who we're trying to be at this church we we work a lot on our culture a lot on who we who the 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 message that we send with what we do we, we can we can spend all we want on advertising. We can we can have the most fantastic logos and buildings and attractions. I could come up with the greatest sermons I could ever do, but if if somebody walks into the church and sourpuss Sally meets them at the door, followed by jerk Jerry, they're not coming back. Because that's the that's the in fact what they say is People will make up their mind within the first three to five minutes whether they're going to come back to a church. The first three to five minutes. Think about that. They don't even get to our official greeters yet. They're seeing your sourpuss in the, in the parking lot. They're seeing you. 
I can't believe they're making a... They're, that's the message they're getting. So what we're, what we, we're going to talk a little bit today about, about that, that culture of who we want to be. And when we say anyone and everyone, we mean anyone and everyone. You name it. And I know there's groups that do petitions against them, and we've got this problem and that problem and everything. But the way I read my Bible, Jesus came to save the world. The problem we have, the thing that we have done, is we have categorized the world. And we have thought that because we're in church, we're better than those people. But that's not the case at all. And we're going to talk about this. We are not better than anyone. And, and all of those things that put them in other categories, we are not celebrating those, nor nor saying they're, they're where they should be. But what we are saying is that is the reason Jesus Christ went to the cross. Is for each and every one of us that had a brokenness. And we all have it. That's all of sin. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of us deserve his love. Not, none of, not one of us deserve relationship with him. And so the question becomes, how do we become an open door to Christ rather than a closed door of who are you and who do you think you are? We don't like you. We don't take your type here. We don't. How do we create that culture of anyone and everyone? You know, part of the problem doesn't even have to do with other people. The part of the problem is, if we're honest, the person we most think doesn't deserve to be in the church, the person we most think is undeserving as ourselves. If we, if we were honest, we won't, we won't say this out loud, and, and you might even be pushing back on me right now, but if we're really honest... Our whole judgment, our whole categorizing of other people, it's a way of making our pain less. It's a way of elevating our own self-image. It's a way of dealing with our own inadequacy. If we, can, if we can classify others as worse than us, it elevates our status. And, and for many, we have a problem thinking that God really could love us, thinking that we really do deserve to be considered Christian, to be considered his, his children, his blessings. And you know what we do because of that? Because we feel so inadequate, because we feel so unworthy, is we've put on a mask. We all do it. We, we put on a mask it, it, to hide who we really are. And they really, we, put, we wear masks everywhere in the world, but Church masks are especially popular. We, we, and some of you this morning, you got up this morning, your kids were late, and then they spilled their milk on the counter, and it made you later, and then your wife had to change clothes three different times before she would decide, and she kept coming out and saying, does this look good? And you, she wouldn't just, and then you went, and then on the way there, the kids were fighting in the back seat, and you got behind some jerk who was going 15 miles an hour all the way down Bee Creek Road. It was driving you nuts. You, you finally turned off. You gave him the finger. You turned around and smacked the kids in the back seat. You told your wife to shut up and just come on and get in. And you pulled up into the parking lot and you were so mad. And then you opened the car door and here we are. Hallelujah, brother. Praise Jesus. How are you? 
Why do we do that? And we all do it. The reason I could go on and on is because we all do that. We all have that, that mask. We put, we, there's something inside of us that says we've got to act different in church. Right? I see it all the time. I, I, I run across it all the time. We, I just went, if I'm, if I'm golfing, if I'm out in public or whatever, I can carry on a conversation, just go, and then if somebody throws out, oh, he's a pastor. Oh, my God. I'm so, I apologize. I, they don't even know what they say. I apologize. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I go to angels after church, and I walk in, and somebody that doesn't know me very well is there, and they have a beer, and they're like, they don't understand I'm on my way to order my own, but they, there's this sense in which we, we, we think we got to pretend. We, we think we got to, like we're fooling everybody. Like there's this right and wrong way. way. And, you know, this is actually, it's not a new thing. It's not a modern day thing. This has been going on since religion was around. If you read in your Old Testament, read the first chapter of Isaiah. The prophet is talking to the, to the nation of Israel, that's, and that was like his people. He's talking to him, and he says, hey, I am so sick of your faking. I am so sick of your little festivals and your little fancy parties that you throw and the little fancy clothes you put on. I wish that you would just be sincere and real with me. I wish that we could just have a relationship. I, I, I want to do my best for you. I want to change your life. I want to give you my power and my strength. But your whole little religious games is just making me sick. And we do that continually. You know, we, we try to dress casual in this church. And it's, it's not just a, because we live at the lake or because I'm lazy and don't have any good clothes or anything like that. It's, it's because, you know, I get the whole concept of why people used to dress up and why they do dress up. I get the concept that there is this awesome, powerful, indescribable God that when you're going to be in his presence, how could you bring anything less than your best? And I, and I get that, that coming to him dressed, that's an that's a important thing. But somehow along the way, it went from honoring God to hiding us or even a way of elevating ourselves that we weren't dressing to honor God. We were dressing to put on a show of who we wanted to be or thought we would or hoped everybody would think we are. Question is, is if God really knew who we are, what we did, what we thought, The things that go, if you really knew, would, would he accept us? Let's look at a passage. It's a Psalm 139. Psalms are in the middle of the scriptures. If you open your Bible about halfway, you'll come to Psalms. It's a collection of poetry. It's written by a David. A lot of it is written by David. This particular one is written by David. David was the one, when you've heard the stories about David and Goliath, he went on to become king of Israel. Um, he had, he had this relationship with God, and, and the way he expressed it a lot of time was through music and through, through poetry, and this is a collection of those. And this is uh, Psalm 139. O Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down, you know when I stand up, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. 
You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your, head a blessing on my, your hand a blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. What David is wrestling with, what he is, what he's playing with in this, in this poem is the concept that God knows everything about us, and it's not a threat. I mean, a lot of us, you grew up with that understanding of watch. It's sort of the Santa Claus complex. Better be good for goodness sakes, or you're not. You're going to get a lump of coal. You know, we we have God as Santa Claus. That watch out because he's watching you. No matter where you go, he's watching. No matter what you do, he's got, and we we grow up with this image of stalker God or something, you know, that's out to get us, or like the principal that's always lurking around the corner waiting for you to do something wrong in school, or what. what and but the concept David was dealing with is God had all this knowledge about him, and it wasn't something bad. It was actually something to celebrate. The fact that God knows everything about me, and yet he loves me. God knows every single thing I do wrong. He knows every bad thought I have. He knows every wrong motivation. He, know, he can see through my mask. He knows the things I do that are really evil and selfish that I pawn off as, as charitable and giving to other people. He knows all of that, and he still loves me. John Wesley the, his, his, uh, wrote a hymn on this. And when I went to Asbury, that's a seminary I went to, and uh, you would probably have never heard of this hymn. It's called And Can It Be. It's a pretty obscure hymn, but it was sort of the school song for the seminary. We're nerds. You use a hymn for your school song. You know, but the, the, the hymn was And Can It Be, and... and the reason it was such an important hymn with Wesley, it was hard tune to follow, but the theology in it was so great. And in one verse, the words were, amazing love, amazing love. How could it be that you who are God would die for me? Amazing love. How could we even understand? How could it be? How could it possibly be that a perfect loving God, a perfect all-powerful God would die for even someone like me? Right there, friends, is the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of the good news. That's, That's the heart of what Christianity is about. You see, when you, get your, when you get your mind around that, when you can start to live into that, it changes the way you look at everything else. If you're, if you're looking at God as someone who's just out to get you, he's just waiting for you to make a mistake so he can send you to hell, what you deserved anyway, if you, if you, if you have that concept of him being a sheriff with a radar gun or whatever, you're going to miss 
the joy of the gospel. The joy of the gospel is, yes, he knows every single thing about us. Wherever you travel, in the night, in the darkness, in the light, on good days, on bad days, at your best, at your worst, he knows everything about you, and yet, he loves you. And yet, he loves you. That is such a that is such a fantastic, awesome thing to think about. God loves me even though I don't deserve it. God loves me even though I'm a jerk. God loves me even though whatever it is for you. When we can transform that from being something we're afraid of to something we celebrate, then we begin to get the heart of Jesus to share with the world. Because once you start to understand that, once you get to the point where you can say, even me, even me, once you understand that you don't deserve love any more than the crack addict down on the street does, that you don't deserve it any more than the homeless people do, that you don't deserve it any more than gay people do, that you don't deserve it any more than, than poor people do, that you don't deserve it any more than... Once you begin to understand that even you, well, then it starts to change the way you interact with other people. Because part of the reason we're so judgmental is because we want to elevate our own self. But once we understand that we're nothing without the love of God, once we understand that we didn't deserve love anymore... We don't have to start point we don't have to keep pointing at others. We don't have to keep judging others. We we celebrate the fact that with both of our brokenness, even me, even me, God loves us. Instead of looking at people saying, Oh, we look at them saying, if only they knew. Instead of looking at people saying, Why did they we say, Why wouldn't they want to have what they what we have? It changes us from the core. See, this is part of that culture we've been trying to work. Instead of this, this culture of the country club of, oh, well, we're the great Christians over here and those people over there. If they want to be like us, they can change their ways and come over. No. Why do we want to close our doors to the very people that need what God offers the most? And we don't deserve it any more than they do. So we, we say, come on. We're not going to celebrate your sin. We're not going to hold up a banner and, and march for you or whatever else. We're not going to celebrate your sin, but we're going to say, hey, you know what? He even loves me. He can love you. And he loves you so much that he can take you from where you are to where you can be. You know, instead of wearing a mask... The church needs to learn to wear a robe. And I get this from the prodigal son. Remember that story Jesus told? It was a great way to illustrate who God was. Son took off, left his father, left, left behind the relationship. He finds himself at a, a feeding pigs, living in a pig pen, hungry, friends gone, all by himself, broken, the stench of pigs on him. And he realizes I need to go home. I need to, I need to get myself right. But he's embarrassed because he smells like a pig. And he goes home and he comes over the hill and the father rushes out to him and embraces him. And you remember what he does first? He wraps him with a... Come on. 
He wraps them with a robe. You know, Paul says that we are to put on the righteousness of Christ. I think that's that robe. I think that's the symbolism there, the righteousness of Christ. What the righteousness of Christ is, is we don't deserve it, but because of who Jesus is, because of his sacrifice, because of his perfect relationship with God, when we put on who Jesus is, it covers the pig smell. When we, when we, when we put on his righteousness, we don't need a mask anymore because the mask wasn't hiding the smell. The only, per- the only person the mask was fooling was us. We all knew. You thought you were fooling. We know all your stuff. We don't say anything to you because we don't want to embarrass you. But we know. It's obvious to everyone but you. You're the only one thinking you're fooling everybody with that fake $100 smile when you get out of the car. But we don't need the mask anymore because we got the robe. That even though we smell like a pig, even though we're broken, even though we have made so many horrible mistakes, things that have hurt other people, things that we are embarrassed about, things that we could never take, we've got the robe of righteousness. The robe that says, you are my child. The robe that gives us identification with the Father. The robe that binds us to him. The robe that is the sign to us and to the world that you're accepted. You don't need the mask, you got a robe. And it's available to every single one of you. All you got to do is wake up in your pig pen and say, man, I got to go home. You just got to decide you'd rather wear a robe than eat with pigs. You just got, that's as simple as it is. You don't, it, he'll meet you right where you are. It's as simple as that. That's what the culture we're trying to create in this church. We don't want to shut the door on anyone because Christ didn't shut the door on us. We don't want to be the one that says any, tells anyone you're not good enough for God's love because he was willing to take me. We don't want to be the one that gets in the way of what he might do in someone's life. We want to be the one that points at God and says, man, he can do amazing things. Try that. That's the culture we want to create in this church. And I know some of you have experienced that before, but maybe you've forgotten about it. Maybe the mask has taken over your robe. Circumstances have gotten you, man, and things are tough in your family, and you just the pain is so much you don't know what to do but put a mask on. I want to remind you, God's love and grace is for you. Some of you never understood that yet. And I'm going to pray that that's going to burn in your heart, burn in your mind until you come to a point where you need to make a decision. Some of us just need to be reminded and get ourselves focused again. But we do not have to pretend when we come to God. He knows everything about us anyway. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to hide. Because He loves us. Why don't you bow with me? Let's, let's pray together. Lord, There are so many things that we are ashamed of about ourselves. I mean, no one else knows because we've, we've hidden it so well. And that's, that's really why we resort to Mass, because we are so ashamed of who we are. And we, we think, if we can't love ourselves, how could other people? And, 
and forget other people. How could God love us? So we hide. But Jesus, you, you came so that we might be able to take off our mask so we don't have to pretend anymore, so we don't have to play these religious games, so we don't have to do dress right or, or do the right festival or be in the right position for prayer. All the things that we tried to make really... You just gave us a chance to be ourselves, to offer ourselves to you, to walk hand in hand with you, to learn more about who we are, to join you in your plan to save the world. And all we have to do is be willing to leave the pig pen and come home to the Father. Thank you for that kind of love, for that amazing love. It makes us say, how can that be? That you, my God, would be willing to die for me. Lord, make that a reality for each one of us. Allow us to live into that. Allow us to demonstrate that as we, as we go through life in our, in our jobs, in our families, wherever we go, may that light shine through us. May that attitude prevail in how we, we deal with others. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.